0: Well, can you think of a person who is much more important than you are? You can calculate that any way you'd like. Who's someone who is much more important than you are? Got a picture of that person in your mind? Maybe it's someone in your family uh, you always felt like got more attention. Uh, Maybe it's someone in our government uh, you think they have a lot more power. Maybe it's someone in our church where you feel like they just get this a whole lot better than you do, and it feels like they are more important than you are. I think a lot of the time when we think of people who are more important than we are, at least who seem more important than we are, we feel like they're way up there, and I'm way down here, and that person will never notice me will never have time for me, will never come over to my house for dinner and certainly not invite me over for dinner to theirs. Right? That's, sometimes importance feels like it separates us. And that can work in another way, too. We can feel like, well, I'm too important for these people right now. I'm too important, I'm too busy for the person I pass on the freeway who's having car trouble Some of us, if we stop to help people with car trouble, would just cause more trouble. That's probably me. But sometimes we might uh, find people and we look down on them because of the kind of life that they live and think, well, I'm better, I'm more important, more valuable than they are because look at how they're squandering their life. I think this sense of importance is more often something that separates us from others than something that brings us together. And so we ought to be concerned, if this is our kind of earthly view of importance, or at least how it often works out, we ought to be concerned when we think about God. Because you, did you just hear the psalm that we read? Verses 4 to 6 said, The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. That sure sounds like a a worldly sort of importance, doesn't it? He is so high that he's got to get out his telescope to take a look at us. He is so far away. He is so high and we are so low. Certainly he's not going to have time for me, right? He's got bigger fish to fry. If he's going to talk to anybody, you know, he'll, he'll talk to uh, the president or he'll talk to the pope. You know, he'll talk to the elders or the pastor, anyone but me. He is so high. He is so important. He is so significant. And it's not just about our perceptions about God. Sometimes it's also about our perceptions of ourselves versus God, isn't it? Well, I'm just a little guy. What, what could God want with me? I'm, I'm going to be a bother. Well, I'm a little, you know, being around God makes me uncomfortable. He's too powerful. He's too holy. And every time I get around him, I just see all of my, my failures, my insecurities, my brokenness. If God counted importance, if he lived importance the same way that we often do, we would be in a lot of trouble. But the psalm continues, and it says this, and I think this is the key to the whole of the psalm. In verses 7 to 9, what does our very important, very high God, who has to strain to see down to where we are, what does he do? Well, he raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. God takes the unimportant and the insignificant, and he makes them important, and he makes them significant. One of my favorite ways of talking about our value uh, comes out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. There are actually free copies of it on the back table if you want. It's a children's Bible that adults could also learn a lot from. And it, it says this about God's people. It says, God loved them, and they were lovely because he loved them. See, our significance and our worth and our value don't come from what we bring to the table, but from the God who loves us, who loves us first, who doesn't wait for us to be born and start doing stuff. He's already got us in his mind, in his heart, before we take our first breath, before we were a glimmer in our parents' eyes, before our parents were a glimmer, and before anyone was a glimmer in anyone's eyes at all. God loved us, and we were lovely because he loved us. See, God has a different sort of importance, doesn't he? He has an importance that makes everyone around him important. You want some examples of how this works? Take a look at 1 Chronicles chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. I'm going to skip around just a bit there, but beginning in verse 7, God speaks to King David. King David sounds like he's pretty important, right? He's the king, but this is what God says. Therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you. Where? From the pasture. From following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. What did our psalm say? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. That's what God did with King David. And did you know that every king in Israel's history was compared to King David? Because God made him all of that. God made him important and significant. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone, David. I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown me future generations. Oh Lord God, I was insignificant. You made me important, and you promised that I will be even more important in the future. That's what you do, God. That's who you are. What about Sarah, Abraham's wife, in Genesis chapter 21? Sarah was old, old. Not just a little old, she was 90. I I think it was 90, if I'm remembering right. And God says, you're going to have a baby. You've never been able to have a baby from years 1 to 89, but in year 90, I will give you a baby. And the first time Sarah heard God's promise, she laughed, right? That is ridiculous. I'm 90. 90 90-year-old women do not have babies, God. But... In Genesis 21, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. And Sarah said, remember Sarah laughed when, when God promised to do this? He laughed, oh, that can never happen. And God said, who was it that laughed? Was Sarah laughing? So was like, I totally did not laugh, right? God, that wasn't me. I don't know who that was. It was probably Hagar, my servant. Sarah became pregnant, and when she had the baby, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. She named her son Isaac. It means laughter. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? No one but God yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And we go back to the psalm. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Because for Sarah, for women in her day and age, that was the most important thing that they could do, have children. And the fact that she didn't meant she was not significant. She was a failure. And God said, let me turn that around for you. Because that's what my glory looks like that's what it means for me to be high above i bring you up to me what about mary the mother of jesus in luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 46 the angel has come to her and said you are going to have a baby and he will be called the son of the most high he is the answer to the promises god made to israel And Mary, at first, is like, that sounds pretty cool. That's great. And then she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Mary enters the scene, John the Baptist jumps in the womb. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and says, What is in you is from God and is of God and will do godly things. This wonderful baby God has given you. And so Mary responds and says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of what? Of the humble state, of the lowness of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who, what? Are proud in their inmost thoughts. The important. People who consider themselves important. The people whom the world thinks important. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. There's something we need to keep in mind about Mary's story. She said, future generations will call me blessed, and so we do. But her generation did not. See, God lifted Mary up, and the people around her didn't recognize the importance that God had placed on her and in her. Everywhere she went, we have to imagine that probably people whispered and said, oh, there's Mary who had that baby, got pregnant before she was married. God's mark of importance in Mary's life turned out to be a mark of shame to so many others. It's a little bit more complicated than we would wish, isn't it? God's importance isn't always recognized by the people surrounding us, sometimes they treat it in the very opposite sort of way. But you know what? The Lord is my judge. The Lord is your judge. And the judgments of the people around us who don't know and who don't understand don't make a difference. Not in the final calculus. See where the celebrity of the rich. And the powerful and the famous separates them from the low. God's highness, God's greatness, and his glory are no barrier to anyone. And we see this most of all because God has become low in Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, Paul tells us, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, the most important, the most glorious, the most wonderful, did not consider that equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't say, great, how can I have everyone recognize my greatness, my glory? He said instead, how can I become nothing to save those who are nothing? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. Remember how God was looking down even on the powerful? Jesus followed that gaze all the way down, emptied himself. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself again by becoming obedient to death, even the most shameful death he could undertake the death on a cross. See, Christ has assumed our lowness so that we can assume his highness. God has taken on our shame so that we can take on his glory. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, we read, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's the kind of importance that he has. He works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined us to become like Jesus. So that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. He said, you're coming up. To my level, you will peer down on the proud things of this world along with me. Not in a sort of judgmental, condemnatory sort of way. You guys stink, and we're going to remind you of it. But in a look how far I have brought you up. You know, that ought to change something about the way we live our lives too, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it change the way we calculate the value of the people around us? Isn't it easy to dismiss the unlikable, the unlovable, the uncooperative, the unlikely? But isn't that the opposite of what God does? God looks at the lowest and he says, you are someone I can take all the way up. You are someone I can make high. That's why Jesus spent all his time with the sinners. You remember that? That was a big criticism of Jesus. Why? It's just, if Jesus knew who these people were, he wouldn't be hanging out with them. And Jesus' is like, oh, I know. And I'd rather hang out with them than with you. Because they're ready to hear, they're ready to listen. They are the low hanging fruit. Not because they're not valuable, but because they know. That they need a savior. How will that change the way we treat our neighbors and the people across the street? And the people that we're fighting against in in politics or anywhere else? How will that change our calculus if we say you don't know how low you are. And you don't know how high God wants to raise you up. He wants to transform and change you. That's what he purposed in Jesus Christ. So then, what is the right response to the highness of God that raises us up? Well, we, we talked about, first of all, it's to look around and start reassessing the way we value the people that we meet. And say every single person has the opportunity to be made high because Jesus has become the lowest of the low so that he could drag us up to his level. But something else that the psalm tells us. In the opening lines of the psalm, verses 2 and 3. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. See, In other words, in your every waking moment, if God has raised you up, raise him up in your heart. Raise him up in your words. Raise him up in your actions. Give him praise in everything that you do. That's the right and appropriate heart response. Think about it. When people do an amazing, wonderful, spectacular thing on your behalf and for you, doesn't it touch your heart? Doesn't it start to change the way that you think about that person? Yes, if we're full of ourselves, we might start thinking, great, now I'm in debt to that person, and I've got to find a way to pay it back. But if we're humble enough to actually receive it as a real gift, our response turns to, are you kidding me? That's amazing. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for raising me up. Oh, God, this is such good news. Let me me take it to my friends and my neighbors. See, I think sometimes we think of evangelism. Telling people about Jesus as okay, I need, like, the 12 steps. And make them very easy, please, because I am incredibly scared. But what if telling people about Jesus was really just saying... You need to meet this person who did something unbelievable and incredible in my life. What if the best preparation for sharing Jesus with with others was to experience him ourselves? To take him in? To every day think a little bit more about how great is it that Jesus took me when I was low and makes me high? See, then it's just sharing good news, right? I got a stock tip for you, right? Actually, it's a Jesus tip. Let me tell you about what he has done in my life. You need to know him. He can change your life. Because, folks, we're not arguing people into the kingdom of God. Uh, I know this because Jesus is the wisest man who ever lived. And if there was ever anyone who can argue everyone into following him, it was Jesus And yet he died alone on a cross. See, Jesus said, this is who the Father is. And he trusted the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those that God had called. That's our job. This is who God is. This is what he's done for me. Holy Spirit, do your work. That's all. We can do that, right? We can do that. Just share good news. Praise looks like, that last bit was for free. Praise looks like <laughs> gratitude. Returning thanks to God for the good he has given us and done for us. Right? Thank you, God. We pray with our, our family all the time. My, the prayer that I always pray over a meal or something like that is, God, thank you for all of the good gifts you've given us. Right? The food that we're about to eat, the house that we live in, You know, the the fun things we get to do, the family that we have, these are all good and important things. We always end with, thank you most of all for Jesus, your son. Because without him, none of the rest matters. It'll all be gone someday. But Jesus lasts forever. Gratitude, that's praise. Gratitude looks like worship. or (laughs) Praise looks like worship. Recounting who God is to ourselves, maybe in your prayer life. God, you are so good. I can't, I can't even fathom. It's amazing. This thing, you showed up for me yesterday. That's the kind of God you are. Recounting who God is to ourselves, to others, right? That's evangelism is worship. Uh, recounting it to Him. God, how wonderful are you? I just wanna, I just want to praise you right now. I just want to worship you right now. And we do it through music, but we do it through prayer. We do it through writing. You can do it any way at all. As a matter of fact, one of them, I'm, I'm going to actually separate it out, even though it's part of worship. Obedience. We can obey God because that's worship in action. Right? I will prove to you with the way that I live that I trust you because you deserve that from me. You are worthy of my obedience. We praise our God with our hearts by expressing our genuine feelings. God, I am thankful. I am full of joy. I, whatever it is. Even I am angry. I'm angry. Because you told me that you loved me and I, I'm struggling to see it right now. Help me. That's praise. That's actively trusting in God. But it's not just with our hearts, with the things that we genuinely feel. We live in an age where people say, if it's not genuine, don't waste our time. We live in an age where we're constantly looking out for phonies and for fakes, right? But let me tell you, every Christian starts as a phony and a fake. Because we are all saying, I am not this thing. I need to be this thing. I need to be a follower of Jesus. I need to let his holiness rub off on me. I need to be a law follower, not because it saves me, but because it's an act of worship to our God. Because that's the way that life really works. And then we go out and we fail. Or at least I do. Maybe you're better than me. We go out and we don't make it. Because we're phonies. And because we're fakes. But that's okay. Because that's what forgiveness lets us pick ourselves back up with the help of the Spirit and keep on going and try it again, and do it again. See, we praise our God with our minds as well. The expression of the truth we have come to know, both when we feel it and when we don't. God, I don't feel like you're very trustworthy at the moment, but I remember what you said. I'm going to trust it today. That's phony, and it's holy. So combine all of these things, and our every moment will be turned to praise. Because obedience, it'll be in everything that we do. You know, gratitude, worship, uh, with our hearts and minds, it'll be in everything that we think. That's praising God in response to his importance, to his making us important, making us glorious. And that's doing with all of our lives.